It has always been my desire that the Lord make a way for his people. I thought our service last night was a good service. And whereas I'm getting back into Ephesians 6, where I would like to start today, refreshing our minds with understanding the wiles of the devil. One of the greatest obstacles to many, one of the greatest obstacles of all the obstacles that we have to face is the concept of the devil that the devil himself has distorted in the minds of Christians and um, if you don't know who your adversary is, you wouldn't be fighting the right individual. And that is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, We wrestle not against, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. And against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and we're not talking flesh and blood, we're talking about spiritual beings. Because the very first part of that verse says we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not your prime minister. It's not the legislation that, um, uh, legislators that make contrary laws. It is a devil that is beyond that. He says, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and we're talking about principalities, spiritual forces, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then as we back up a little to this area, verse 10, where Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, finally, in conclusion, the last thing I like to say in this old subject, he says, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Um, it's a statement that the Lord made, if I hold my finger in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and turn back to the book of Joshua, in the little book of Joshua, just after Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. When you find the first chapter of Joshua, uh, just turn back into Deuteronomy a couple of pages. And uh, let me see here what verse I want, what chapter, and what verse I want. Where the Lord spoke to Joshua. Moses and Joshua in the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> and um, in the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses, it says in verse 2, the Lord says, And he said unto them, Moses, and Moses spake to the people and to all Israel, and he said unto them, I am 120 years old this day. It was his birthday. Um, back there, no one celebrated a birthday like they do, did, like they do today. 
The first time someone ever celebrated a birthday was, I think, Herod celebrated his birthday and God killed him on that birthday because the people praised him. Uh, birthdays are a celebration that makes, that goes overboard sometimes and people feel like you need to worship them during a birthday. Of course, when the world tries to celebrate the birthday of Jesus, uh, he has nothing to do with his own birthday. They give each other presents. Um, I make sure Christmas time I put a special offering in church uh, just to contradict what the world is doing. I give the Lord that gift. And here it was Moses' birthday. He was 120 years old. I wish I could live up to 120. I really wish I could live up to 120. I don't think so, but I wish. Um, verse 3, And the Lord thy God will go before thee, and he will destroy those nations before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, the Lord told Moses, and Moses is saying this to the people, he says, And Joshua, he shall go over before thee as the Lord had said. And then Moses said to the congregation, he says, Be strong, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Uh, that means you go out to the, uh, the pharmacy or the health store and buy you a lot of vitamins. Uh, you buy vitamin, you know, multivitamin, vitamin C. You take a little zinc. You take some D's. Um, and you become strong in the Lord. No, no, no. Be strong in the Lord. The effort that you put into your physical well-being, the same effort should be put into your spiritual well-being. And that is why we were in Ephesians 6, which will come back a little bit. But be strong and of good courage. And Moses, verse 7, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. It's something that individuals that are serving God were told in the Old Testament to be strong. Don't be a weakling. Be strong and of good courage. And we'll refresh our minds with some of this area, these areas as we look further on. In Joshua, after Moses had died in the first book of Joshua, after Moses had died and he was, uh, no one knew where he was buried. Uh, he did not enter the promised land because he had um, disobeyed the Lord in his last day. Uh, the Lord, Joshua was in charge. And in verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, Be strong. And of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land. Only be thou strong and very courageous. And we see this word repeating itself over and over. Uh, when it comes to being spiritual, effort must be placed into it. And so here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, and the reason why Paul is saying this to the church at Ephesus is because unless you are spiritually strong, you cannot 
effectively combat the powers of darkness. You can't a scream and a holler and a shout and a dance would not do that. A life will do that. A godly life as required by scripture is what will accomplish this strong that the Lord is talking about. And so here Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of those churches that survived. It survived when the churches of Galatia went under. When the church at Corinth went under. When the church of Thessalonica went under. When all of these little churches went under. Because while Paul was still alive he saw his work dwindled into nothing. Um, it was not that the churches closed down. No, the churches increased in number. But they lived contrary to the principles of God. If you want to see this church grow, let's have a party on Saturday night. Let's offer a dinner after church on Sunday. Let's make this church into a social club and the church will grow in attendance. Let's stop preaching holiness. Let's preach an entertaining gospel that entertains you rather than challenges you to live godly. I remember I'm invited right now to go to a church and I'm debating whether I should go. Uh, there's a brother in, um, where is it Nadine? Kansas. Uh, he told Brother Richard, he met him at the funeral and says, can you tell Brother Singh, if, I would be pleased if he can come and visit with us. And I remember years ago, I sat in Des Moines while this brother was preaching. And he's one of the men, you know, there might be 70 ministers and I might admire four or three. Uh, individuals, and this is something about me that I don't know, God has allowed this in my life. A man can get up and preach for an hour and I did not hear a thing. And a man gets up and speaks for five minutes and I heard everything he said. Sometimes I hear with my ears and sometimes I hear with my heart. What I hear with my ears does not stay. What I hear with my heart registers and stays. And when I go to a convention and they have 70, 60, 70, maybe a less than that ministers preaching, when you have 15 or 20 men getting up to preach, I might hear nothing or I might hear two men say a few things that challenges my life. But they're saying, do you feel you're, you're special than all these other men? If I didn't feel I was special, I wouldn't stand here to preach. Does the doctor feel he's qualified to teach, give you medicine? Yes, he does. Is the lawyer qualified to fight your case in court? Yes, he feels, and he puts that out in the front in a little, in a little signboard. Put his qualifications and degrees and all of that. Well, I know God has called me to preach the gospel. And I remember Brother Goodwin told me that God had called him to preach the gospel. And this was the last convention in our church that he attended in 1996. Uh, before he went back into Des Moines and died in, in that same month. He was here in July, the early part of the month. 
And he had come to the end of his line where he said, I've given to the fellowship all that the Lord has given me, and there is nothing more I can give. He said that in the May convention prior to him coming here in July. When he came in July, uh, this was the last church, last meeting he attended, and I'm glad he did, because time was up. When he was leaving that day, and we stand at the gate looking at him, uh, taking, getting through customs and immigration, I've never in all the years that he came to Canada see him turn back and wave so many times, as if to tell us he's not coming back. His race was run. His ministry was over. Why am I saying that? Because I'm getting close to that time where my race is run. And my ministry is over. And when I uh, sit here in this church on that little table there, I'm looking and seeing who will take over the work when I'm gone. And I, I listen with my ears, but I listen with my heart. And uh, the work belongs to God. It's not mine. And God will provide. And if the church is faithful to God and commit, co continues to be faithful, God will give you good leadership. Amen. If the church fails to be faithful and committed to God and we live a schizophrenic life, a twofold life, God will raise up what is necessary to lead you into the ditch. It can't happen. It happened to every other move that God made in the past. We are not infallible. And so these are things that we must bear in mind. So when I stand up to talk to you, I pray and say, God, give me words that I might bring life to those that are elect in our midst. That's the way I preach. And I, I gotta, I, I'll be up early in the morning, I'll study my Bible, I'll read, I'll do all kinds of things. I'll come here, try to make some notes, might use them, might not use them. But when I stand up, I'm praying, oh God, touch my mind that I might present the gospel to save the elect. I do not preach to save the non-elect. And you might feel you're non-elect, but you might be surprised to know you are elect. The race is not for the swift, but they that endure unto the end. Because many individuals start the race and cannot finish. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, just a refresher here, Paul is saying, finally, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, put on, put on. Put on the whole armor, and you can get this at a store. You cannot go out and buy the armor. The armor is a spiritual armor that if you're to battle with the devil, you must be able to put on the spiritual armor that the Lord is talking about. This spiritual armor comprises of a few things. Number one, uh, the first thing, and I've readjusted these points, I think there are six or seven uh, different um, uh, aspects of this armor. And I say aspect because it's not spiritual. It's not physical, it's spiritual. For example, I've listed the number one item here in verse 17. 
the helmet of salvation. First of all, you're going to have to ask the Lord, Lord, please save me. Please forgive me of my past sins. But he's saying, did you ever do that? I did that a million times in the past. And if you don't understand how I pray, I did that this morning. Every day I pray, Lord, please save me. Forgive me of my trespasses. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Every single time I pray, I ask God to cleanse me. Forgive me. I don't say what Jesus taught us. Forgive us this day our trespasses because I do it early in the morning. Lead me not into temptation is what I pray. And I ask God to cleanse me all the time because until I'm saved, number one, if I'm not saved, I'm not uh, don't have the helmet of salvation, I can continue with the rest. I must be saved. It's a spiritual armor. And so number one, helmet of salvation. Number two, verse 14, breastplate of righteousness. Uh, when I'm saved, I must have before me not hypocrisy and all of this that the devil can see. If I'm to war with the devil, I must understand that I need a breastplate of righteousness. So when he finds holes in that breastplate of hypocrisy, holes of unfaithfulness, holes of lack of dedication, he can penetrate that armor. The armor, the breastplate is as strong as righteousness is established in our lives. If there's no righteousness, you have a perforated breastplate. Anything can go through. It is so nice when a, someone punches a spear against you and that breastplate keeps that spear from getting into your heart because it takes righteousness. This is not an easy life. Um, recently, I've been reading things and someone says, you are conquerors. You're more than conquerors. You can defeat the devil. You're, you're, you're cleansed. You're washed. Well, here's my question. Are you more than a conqueror? Are you cleansed? Are you walking in victory? See, some promises in this Bible is only for those that are following the principles of the Word of God. You're not a tree. Are you a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in His season? In order to be that, you must not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. How you walk determines the promises you can claim. You can stand up and say, devil, I rebuke you, Satan, get behind me, all kinds of stuff. And you just make yourself a joke. Because the devil is a delegated authority that God has sent to perfect your life. And so today, some of these things we look at before I close the service off. But um, I, asked, um, I asked Nadine this morning while we were together, I think it is you I asked, about the will of God. I said, uh, what is the will? Can someone be, when is someone in the will of God? I can't remember what, how I put that to you this morning. What is the will of God? Uh, can someone violate the will of God? And uh, it's a hard question to ask. And uh, the answer is more than what we can read. Because this morning, 
I continue to ask myself, why did God, the Almighty God, made me with a fallen nature? My mama didn't design that. My grandfather didn't design that. My ancestors did not design that. God designed me that I was made with a fallen nature. Lust goes with the fallen nature. Lying goes with the fallen nature. Worldliness goes with the... F I did not choose to be born that way. God made me that way. And you ask, why he did that? Couldn't he snap his finger and save me and give, stop this all this hassle I'm going through? It's a big question, right? It's a big why. And... When I start to understand why, I'll face my negatives and positives differently. Because there's a process I must go through. And like Brother Sam said last night, if your goal is, it, did you say that last night? If goal is to be, no, J, Andrew said that last night. Uh, if goal is to be purified, soap and water can do it. Fire does it. And can someone be out of the will of God? Well, there are two wills. God's perfect will and his permissive will. His perfect will is what he tells you to do. That you need to do. His permissive will is that you failed to do that. And so Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he ended up to, in Tarshish. The perfect will was for him to go to Nineveh. But the man was afraid what Nineveh might, might do to him. He might be afraid that he might look like an idiot when he's going to preach to the people and tell them God was going to judge them and then God spare them. And so let me run from God. Did God knew he was going to run? Oh yes. You see God knows every mistake that you make. He knows in advance what you will do. Every transgression that you transgress, God knows exactly what you will do long before you've done it. And if you're elect, he has a backup plan for you. Why does he save us when we were born? From the time we were born. So I got up and by the time I'm six years old, I'm living for God, a victorious Christian life. Why does he have to wait until I'm 35, living as a drunkard and a fornicator, and then save me? Couldn't he save me earlier? Yes, he could. But he that is forgiven much will end up and love much. He that never did anything wrong and is forgiven little will love little. I love when big sinners repent. Are you a big sinner? When you repent, you will find out that you will love God more than the small sinners would. So, I'm patient. That's why I want to live until 120. Can see some conversions happen. And that is what God is. There is a secret will and there is a permissive will. When Jonah said he was going to disobey God and go to, to Tarshish, a whale was on the way to Tarshish waiting for him to transport him back. But it took 
him being thrown out of the ship. It took him being swallowed up and remained in the stomach of a whale where he suffocated and died. Now what I just said would rattle a lot of people's cages around the world because he died. And that is what Jesus meant. He says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was dead. Jonah was dead. And when Jonah was vomited out on the, on the shores of, of Nineveh, and the people saw it, there was a man, a big, a big whale is coming to land. Uh, oh my God, is puking. And a man is coming out with weeds all over him and he's washing them out and he's alive. Gotta be God sent him. The whole city start to repent. And there's nothing like you being out of the will of God because bad days might be what God has in mind. Good days might be what God has in mind. His perfect will will ultimately be established, but his permissive will is what he works with in order to bring you to the place and bring the elements that are necessary to be brought into your life to perfect you. Hold your finger in Ephesians. We're coming back there and back up a little to Romans and very popular scripture in the 8th chapter of Romans. And when you're a child of God and you understand this verse of scripture, you'll understand what God, if you can understand with your heart, verse 8, 28, you can understand how to face. You can be able to be better equipped to face what's ahead of you. And Paul writes here, he says, we know. We are aware that all things, everyone in this church say all things. All things. That is good things, bad things. Good days, bad days. Painless days, painful days. Happy days, sad days. Small disaster, big disaster. Things working right, things not working right. For the child of God, God never makes a mistake. He never errs in his judgments. He never does. For you and I going through time, where the whole process of time we got to live, you know, in 70 years, for God, it's a snap of his finger. For you and I, we are seeing the process of time, a long process. For God, he does not live in time. He occupies eternity where he sees yesterday and tomorrow just at one glance. He sees creation and he sees the establishment of a new heaven and earth all at one glance. He is not affected by time. You and I live in, it, in time. God occupies eternity. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Time is not important. So when you have a long process of being saved, he sees that just like a moment. We don't, we have to go through the thousands of experiences that we go through. And he says, all things <clears throat> work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called, the called 
according to his purpose or according to his will. He's got a purpose and all things that happens to a child of God has a purpose behind it. Because God will save you if you're his child. All things. And you know you might listen to this but if you're not hearing with your heart you would not fully comprehend what I mean. You will still complain about the bad things that happen to you. And so when you see that, what is the end for, for whom he did, did foreknow, God is, he did predestinated you. If you're elect, you are predestinated to be confirmed to the image of God's son. In other words, the end goal for every one of us is to make us like Jesus. Confirmed to the image of God's Son. You don't think you'll make it? Don't worry. If you're elect, you'll make it. But by the saying, I don't really like to pray. Don't worry. If you're elect, he'll get you on your knees more than you can imagine. If you can willingly fall and obey God on your knees, he don't have to drag you down on your knees. But you either fall on the rock and be broken, or the rock will accomplish its job by falling on you and crush you. If you're elect, you will be saved. And you will be confirmed to the image of his son before your life is over. The thief on the cross, he died, recognized by the world as a thief. But in the last moments of his life, not everyone is privileged to have the last moments of their life like that. And his last moment of his life, he says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, sure, you will be with me in paradise. How we live, it's one thing. How we die and finish the race is another thing. And when the pastors that pass the flocks understand that, that it's not... The one that's running ahead and everybody loves. But he that stays and finishes the race. That is important. And what mankind might throw in the garbage, God takes up and salvage. And that is what Hannah meant when she said, God lifts the poor out of the dust. And lifted the beggar from the dunghill. And make a prince out of him. Don't underestimate the power of salvation. And these are important things for us to understand because God never errs in his judgment. He will save his people. And uh, back here in Romans, in Romans 8, it says, Whom he did foreknow, them he also predestinate to be confirmed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so the process God does... Uh, whom he did predestinate, he will call you whenever. Might be when you're 10 years old, when you're 15 years old, or when you're 50 years old. I don't know. He has a time that he will call you. And if he calls you, he will justify you. And whom he justifies, he will glorify you. The whole process of calling and life living for God is called sanctification, where we are sanctified from this world. And, uh, you know, I can go in all of these theological terms, 
But I prefer to tell you live for God. How difficult that is. Stop doing wrong stuff and live for God. Ask God to help you to live for Him. How difficult that is. You need big words? Hmm? You need to understand what eschatology means? You need to understand what uh, the, uh, the details of sovereignty or predestination and all this doctrine? No, you don't need all of that. You just need someone to preach the gospel like Jesus did. Simple gospel. He was, Jesus was not a theologian. He was a preacher of the gospel. He was a savior. And over here, before we go back to Ephesians, we skip past Ephesians a little bit, and we come to uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. If we're to become like Jesus, then he becomes our main focus. And so Paul, writing here in, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he says, Seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, all these people in chapter 11 becomes a cloud of witness. How Moses lived, how Jeremiah lived, how Isaiah lived, how they challenged, were challenged, and they died as martyrs. They're a cloud of witness before us. And that is why I'm glad I have the Bible that has this history that I can look at. And Paul says, seeing, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, what, are we need, what we need to do? Let's read together slowly. Let us... Lay aside, let's try that again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us, I don't even know where I am. Uh, let, yes, I got it. And let, uh, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. For me to run effectively this race that is set before me, I need shackles to be taken off of me. I need unnecessary weights to be taken off of me. And a lot of times we blame the devil for what we're guilty of. Well, you know, Brother Singh, Satan made me do it. When you blame the devil, you actually are praising the devil. His job is to tempt you. And play on your fallen nature. And all he does, he's not going to hold your hand and make you sin. He will tell you and put a desire in your heart. And work with what's already there. Your job is to conquer the carnal nature that you have. And obey God's word. And live for God and do that which is right. So when you say, Satan made me do it. I was not going to steal, but Satan took my hand and he put it in the cookie jar. He did? You're giving him the credit because that's what he wants you to tell him. Praise be to the devil. He accomplished a good job. Don't praise him. Even though it was the devil that sought permission to work on Job, not one time did Job praise the devil. He says, God, you did this to me. You allowed this to happen. You did not allow my spit to swallow. Because Job understood that nothing happens to you, that God is not taking it through a process with good intention to make you stronger. Every time you fall, don't stay down. Get up and go again. 
Wouldn't I be sad if every time a baby is tried, uh, trying to walk, it falls and it stops? Because it fell? No, it gets up again to go again until it can learn to creep, it can learn to stand, it can learn to crawl, it can learn to walk. We don't give up. And though you fall a thousand times, rise up again yes, sir. Mm -hmm. and start your effort to walk. Because we've got a God that is patient and loving and he is able to save us. And so Paul went on here in, in Hebrews the 12th chapter. He says looking unto Jesus. Who is the one we're looking to? Don't look unto people. Don't look unto the world. Turn your television off sometimes. And look in your Bible and see what Jesus. Who Jesus was. How patient he was. How long suffering he was. How a savior he was. How when a woman caught in adultery was brought to him. And he says neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The world wanted her dead. He offered her life. And she. That was condemned by the world for being a prostitute. You know the world was so unfair in those days. You ever heard someone commit fornication by themselves? Well, it looked like she did, because there was no man. Just a woman was brought to Jesus. And I'm not Jesus. He did his own thing in his days. But if I was there, I'd say, where's the man? You're bringing this woman caught in adultery. What happened to the man? Well, I couldn't bring him. He's my brother. Uh-huh. Go, lady. Until you find the man and bring the man, you can't condemn the woman. But Jesus was different. He knew where the man was, but he said to the woman, he turned to the crowd and he says, anyone here without sin, you got a stone in your hand? And everyone had a stone in their hand. If their people had no, no empathy and no sympathy, they got a bigger stone. Those that was not sure that they should stone that lady had a smaller brick, a little, a little rock, smaller size. When you're ready to condemn someone, what size of stone do you carry? When you're ready to gossip someone because they did not go according to your plans, what kind of stone you carry to stone their repetition and destroy them? Do you have the spirit of Christ? Are you a savior or your individual that is condemning those that you're guilty of the same crime yourself? And so Jesus looked at the crowd, all these Pharisees and hypocrites standing before him. He says, anyone here, I'm going to give you permission to kill her. He says, any one of you without sin, go ahead. And no one dropped a single stone against that woman because they all were sinners. And they walked away and then he looked at a woman, he says, where are your accusers? And she turned and there were none. All gone. If you were living back there, would you be with the crowd, ready to stone her? Or would you be on Jesus' side with the disciples ready to forgive her? 
And Jesus said to the woman, he says, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And do you know when he died and was left, uh, his body was buried, who was the first person that showed up? I thought Peter would. He was the big mouth fisherman that always had a revelation. I thought John that loved Jesus, he would show up. No, no, no. The woman that was caught in adultery that God had forgiven, she was there at the grave. Because what Jesus offered her, nobody else offered her in life. Amen. And that's what we should be as a church. We should offer people what no one offers. Not compromise with her, but tell her go and sin no more. But offer her that life and that empathy and that compassion Jesus offered her, and he that she that is was forgiven much, loved much. Amen. Amen. Don't condemn yourself. Give God a fighting chance to save you. And he will. And so we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, the end result of what was set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus becomes the example. He suffered and he died because the end result was to offer us salvation. He didn't mind the suffering. But you know, in the garden, he said, Father, he was dying before the time. Perspiration, Brother Sam, was like drops of blood. None of us ever gone to that place. And he was there in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew it was not time to die. He knew he was to die on the cross. But it looks like he was dying before the time. And he did not understand the details of what the father was doing in him, his life. And the sin of the world brought sorrow and perspiration like drops of blood. And he looked up to heaven. He says, Father, let this cup it's killing me, Father. Let it pass from me. And then he understood it's not his will, but the will of the Father. He said, nevertheless, if this is what you want, Father, go ahead and let me die prior to the cross. And you know, he would have died. But the Father sent angels to strengthen him. And sometimes you don't understand what the will of God is. As Jesus was perspiring like drops of blood. He didn't fully understand what the will of God was. And I'm saying that and a lot of people condemn me for saying that. They say, well, Jesus understood it. No, he didn't. And that is why I pray, Father, take it away. And the Father says, okay, I'm going to send angels and strengthen you, son. So you'll live long enough to go to the cross. But yet, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And if you're sitting here today or you're listening to this message today and you're going through something that you don't fully understand, have confidence in God. Yes, he will let you understand in due time that this process is not easy. The path is not easy. The negatives are necessary. The flaws, the condemnation, the gossipers that gossip you, the people that persecute you are necessary. Yes, sir. 
in your life, all designed by God to make you stronger. You know, I went on the internet and I found this little guy on the internet, a little cartoon walking on the treadmill. You ever saw that cartoon? I sent it to you. He's walking like this on the treadmill. You think he's going to lose anything? No. You need resistance. You need something to pull your effort and your strength to make you sweat, to go contrary. Uh, you need resistance to develop a benefit of that. No Christian can become an overcomer if you got nothing to overcome. Amen. And so here in the scripture, before we get back into Ephesians, and the last part of uh, this, uh, further on in this chapter, because Jesus becomes our example, he becomes the one that will suffer for us. Uh, Paul went on here in, 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 in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he says, um, verse 5, and we have, you have not forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you uh, as unto children. My son, my daughter, my child, don't despise the negatives that God has brought into your life. Don't despise the chastening. I was telling Brother Sam this morning, I said, you know, I don't like to complain about pains and aches. Because at a certain age, you get the aches and pains. And coming back from Guyana, I had some aches and pains. And last night I had one that was excruciating. That's the word I use. Excruciating pain. And I put my hand on it and I says, Satan, I rebuke you. I rebuke the devil. But guess what? I said, be healed. Be healed. One little finger like that. And it's gone. It's gone. Just like a man I met in Guyana, um, I didn't meet him, but while I was in Guyana and he knew I was there, he sent a message to me, and he was in Guyana in a different part. He says, do you remember me? And I said, um, you respond back to him? I said, no. And he called me. He said, do you remember me? Chandri was there. I said, no, but uh, your name looks familiar. He said, when you started that church in number 57 village, you were my mentor. That's what he said. I was his teacher. He says, and the first time you came up there and I was so sick and you lay hands on my head and immediately I got healed. That was a good testimony. He says, when I get back to America, I will write you and I want you to give me some history because I want your name in a book that I'm producing. Oh, I don't really care. My name in a book or not a book. It is not important. So last night I put, I be healed. And the pain was gone until this morning when I'm ready to go take my shower. It came back. <laughs> so what can you do? It came back. It returned. <laughs> and so Paul says, my son, do not despise or ignore or pay little attention to the chastening of the Lord, nor faint. Do you faint when you get that pain? Sister Polly, thanks for that little time of fellowship we had. I really enjoyed it. But I enjoyed looking at you more than I enjoyed 
the fellowship. But it was really good. But you know, there is Sister Polly, and sometimes I can tell the extent of her pain when she's walking down, coming into church. And we prayed. You know I prayed that God give you a new kidney? Yes, I did. I prayed, oh God, can you give her a brand new kidney? I prayed for Chandra. I said, can you take away that mechanical valve and put a real flesh valve? And so every time she comes near to me, I say, let me listen. And so she, I put her, my ears and it click, 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 click. Oh, the mechanical is still there. But God can replace the valve. He can create a kidney. This morning I pray, God, can you touch Brother Philip Kempadu and raise him up out of that bed of affliction, do a miracle, and dissolve that cancer that's in his body. I pray, I pray, I believe God. And God knows it's his will that will succeed. But my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Or when it's getting strong and you don't faint. Please do not faint. But if you faint, give me a call. I'll lift your hands. Because sometimes I faint. Sometimes I, I want to give up. The pain is too much. The agony is too much. And if you want to faint, lean on some shoulders. Faint. Faint away. Because I'm going to be there when your pain is over. It says, come on, get back in the position now. Because God is still on the throne and he was just working in your life. He'll never give you more than you're able to bear. Amen. Amen. But when you're chastened, it says, Paul says, or you're rebuked. Don't faint when you're rebuked of God because you're, he's chastening you. For the Lord love it. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. What a God. <laughs> he loves me, so he's going to whip me. I love him too. I never could understand why my mom would whip. We always had a wild cane. We call it a wild cane. It's a long pole like this. Like it's a long pole the size of this finger. And God, we used it in school. It really did a job. Mom had one hanging in her between the kitchen and the, and the hallway hanging there. And it was not for ornament. <laughs> but I'm glad my dad was there to ease up. He said, that's enough. Angie, that's enough. But she whipped us when we went contrary. And when that cane was not available, a tamarind whip. You had to cut it yourself and bring it in. And then she put it on you. And when we were big enough, she says, come. I said, no. <laughs> and she runs after you, climb up the fastest tree you can find. Says, no, mom, no, I'm so sorry, mom, mom. I'm not going to do it again. But you know, when it was all over, I thank God for a mother that measured our discipline. If it was not for discipline, whom she loved, she chastened. And there were times when we had limited food and did not have enough food. And she would say, I'm not hungry today. Chandri did that the other day. She says, I don't feel like eating that thing today. Because there was not enough for everybody. And I remember my mom. You can't put away your mom. Our parents... 
that were Christians and raised us right, we're thankful to God. And whom the Father loveth, he chasteneth. And if you endure chastening, he delivered to you as with a son. For whom the son, for the, what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? The purpose of chastisement, verse 10, for verily for a few days chasteneth, he chasteneth according to, uh, uh, well, let me see, for they, the ungodly parents, chasteneth according to their pleasure, but he got the Father for his, our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. When God is taking it through a process, he is, per, the project, the end result, the goal that God has is to produce the image of his son, holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Yes, so God, give me some grace to endure it, but lash away. Mm-hmm. He will save his people. Time is gone on me. Let's go back to Ephesians quickly. Ephesians chapter 6. And so the number one is a helmet of salvation. Number two, breastplate of righteousness. Number three, shield of faith. The devil will do everything to distort your faith and make you look to the medicine cabinet and every other source to make you not give God a fighting chance. That's right. And you need the shield of faith. Uh, number, that's number three. Number four, you need your loins girt about with truth. Uh, truth, the word of God, the precious word of God. Not everything that is true is truth. Isn't that contradictory? Not everything that is true is truth. Truth that the Bible talks about is the truth of godly lifestyle in our day. That is what will save you. Theological truth will not save you. It will educate you. Truth according to lifestyle will save you. That what you need to do and what you don't need to do in your daily walk, that is what will produce an, over, produce an overcomer. And then he finishes off here, number six. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I think number seven is prayer. I would like to put number seven and prayer. Prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching there until with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I think prayer is a vital part of the putting all of these elements, salvation, uh, helmet of salvation, breastplate. Prayer is is an envelope that contains all of these different aspects of the armor of God that we'll be able to fight the devil. My job today is not to make you happy. My the job today is to uh, challenge you to live godly. And whether whatever phase God is taking you through, he might put you in a school where the people around you are ungodly. Shine as a light. It's your opportunity to shine. Don't flow with the flow. Stand up. Stand tall. I went to school. Maybe not as... Well, sin is always sin. I went to school and my friends never really, I was like a loner in school because they think I was weird. My pastor, my teacher, uh, sometimes ridiculing me because I'm a Christian. Let us stand tall. In the midst of an ungodly world, God has given you the ungodly around you. 
that you can still stand tall and serve God in spite of the negatives around you. Don't faint. Serve God and live for him and serve him right. And so he concludes this here. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching there until with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You know, do you pray for the saints? When you go to pray, someone says, I don't know, I, I pray fast and I'm finished in five minutes. No, no, no. Set yourself down in a little corner of your house when everybody's asleep and start to think about the saints in the church and start to pray. Start with the pastor and his wife and his daughter and her sons. Then go to the elders and their family. Oh, God, pray for Brother John, Brother Sam, Brother Thomas. You know, no, 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 no. Don't be in a rush. God is patient. He's waiting. Pray for them. One after the other. See the ones that you don't love. Pray for them most. And ask God to change your heart. Do you think your prayer is moving God? Answer me. Your prayer is not designed to move God. Your prayer is designed to give you the right attitude and develop your faith. The less you pray is the less your faith is being developed. You're doing yourself a favor by praying for the people in the church. And in this day and age that we're living in, we don't know what can happen. And so I'm invited to Brother Sharber's church. And um, I remember sitting there and he was preaching. And all of a sudden, I'm enjoying this man's preaching. And then suddenly he turned to me and he says, Brother Singh, I would like to know you better. And then he gets back into preaching. And so that day I was not going to get up. And I remember clearly, I'm finishing off here. I remember clearly, I reached on. You know, and you don't want to. You don't want to preach. Uh, you're trying to, when somebody's telling you something, you reach on in and I'm pulling out a little mint, one of these guys. And the ones I had, they have like little, I open my mint and I open up. And when I turn to it, guess what the mint, the little thing on my hall said, dust off and get up. The Lord used the hall's wrapper to tell me to dust off and get up. I said, okay, I will dust off <laughs> and get up because I really do not care to preach. I have to do it because that's what God has called me. And the reason why I don't really care to preach, I preach the truth. And the truth would make you mad sad or change your life give you a challenge I don't know how to polish up a message and how to entertain the people with the gospel I don't know how to do that let's pray father we thank you today for this time we spent in your house we thank you Lord for your patience your dealing with us and what our Lord Jesus has manifested to us in history, Lord, his lifestyle, his patience, his empathy, his compassion, and his love for us. Lord, help us to develop the same spirit 
If ever there was a time, Father, we need a genuine Holy Ghost in our life, it is in these days. Father, please help us. Let your word not return void unto thee, but accomplish its purpose and plan. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.